This is a Lip Media Podcast. Content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Welcome everybody to If You Don't Mind. It's Madeline Sherrington here. As per usual, I'm always going to be here. This is the setup, so if you don't like me by now, you should probably get going. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, welcome to the show. I'm super excited for you to be listening to another episode. We are nearly at the end of season two, which is just mind-blowing to me. Um, we've only got, I think after this one, four more episodes to go until the end of the year, which is just... I can't believe it, but it's been, you know, so amazing. I still pinch myself every day that this is taken off the way it has. So yeah, I really, I really appreciate everybody still listening. Um, And speaking of the end of the year, that is very soon. Um, I work in the city near the the Queen Victoria building and they've already put up a Christmas tree, which they're claiming is like the 2020 tree, which I don't really get. I think it's I think the slogan or the tagline was like, let's just get rid of 2020 or like, let's just, it's been shit or so. I don't know. It's very strange, but yeah, there's trees there and that's just a bit too early and a bit too much for me. So yeah, don't know how I feel about that, but you know what? It's been a garbage fire year. So let's just, let's get it done. Let's get it done. Um, Guys, on today's episode, uh, you get to listen to a great conversation I had with the lovely Joe. So Joe is someone who is very self-aware, very thoughtful, very like very reflective and very intelligent. And I think you can hear that in the conversation. She is the first person to ever like ask me before recording if it's okay if we like if she asks me questions during recording and I was like, "Yes. Please do. I want this to be a conversation like that. So exciting." Um, so she did and it was cool. I think the best, like the best episodes are the ones where it's like two-sided as opposed to just me like firing off questions. So Jo is currently studying uh, social work and, uh, she talked to me about her experiences with anxiety and depression, as well as her experiences with both her parents, one having a complex mental health condition and one having substance dependency. Um, and yeah, she talked really candidly and openly about those experiences. And I think it was also kind of cool because she was able to frame a lot of it from like a social work lens, which is really interesting. Um, And we, yeah, we just had some really good discussions about things like harm reduction and medication and um, things like that. So yeah, it was really interesting. Really, really loved this one. So guys, as usual, a little bit of a trigger warning. Uh, We obviously discuss anxiety and depression. We we talk about substance use um, and alcohol. So if that's something that you're not really in the mood to listen to today, that's fine. Just come back when you're ready to go. But um, I'll quit talking and get this show going. Um, So this is Joe. I hope you like it. Um, Well, welcome Joe to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. 
Thank you for having me. I've been very excited today, a little bit nervous, sort of pacing up and down the house. Oh, like, really? Oh. But no, I'm ready. <laughs> it's, good. it's always very nerve-wracking when like I don't know, like when you have to go and sit down and, and record something or hear your voice or I don't know, like do something like this for the first time. It's very scary, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, um looking forward to it. I just thought this is, you know, as I explained to you when we spoke the last time, a little bit of a personal goal. Mm. And yeah, I really see value in the conversations you have. And I think it's really important just to normalize mental health. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, my first question is what I what I ask everybody. And, is, and that is like, you know, what do you do? Like, what's your life about? What do you do for work? What are your hobbies, your interests? Tell me about Joe. Um, well... I'm 23 years old and I'm from down the Great Ocean Road, but currently living in Melbourne. Oh. And I'm completing, I'm in my third year of social work, so on the the home stretch there, looking forward to getting that done. And I just work part-time at the moment in a big factory. I'm doing the old graveyard shift, so that's not always fun, but yeah, it's good to have job security at the moment so yes. shouldn't complain <laughs> when you say graveyard shift what are your hours um at the moment it's 5 p.m till 3 a.m but like by the time you get home and wind down it can just be a bit of a process yeah. and i'm doing placement from home as well so some days i have to get up at 10 the next morning to do meetings and stuff so Ugh. i'm just trying to take it one day at a time and get through it (laughs) that's incredible like because obviously like i've spoken before on the show about how important sleep is um Mm -hmm. so has that kind of mucked you up a little bit or are you finding it okay and you've adjusted yeah no absolutely and sleep is something that um might come up later because i think living with anxiety and depression definitely have the um you know racing mind before sleep tossing Mm. and turning uh i do love a good old sleeping tablet i will admit (laughs) (laughs) gotta do what you gotta do 100 percent, gal yep (laughs) do what you need to do to sleep i mean it's really interesting when we talk about sleep but like i never had a routine when it came to sleep like i just Mm -hmm. it's really interesting a lot of people i know are like yeah i put my face mask on and then i wash i like you know wash my hair and then i i don't know like listen to a podcast and i go to sleep and i was like i don't i don't have this i would just kind of play it by ear go to bed when i could and i remember talking to my psychologist he's like that's no you need to have a routine around sleep like they love advocating they love it they love it they love it really drill it into you i will admit though to be honest, since yeah. I started it, it, my sleep is much better. <laughs> okay, so it's helping. It is. It's. I think with sleep, it's it's all about consistency. Like he was, mm-hmm. he was talking about the fact that if you go to bed at the same time and you wake up at the same time, your body eventually just kind of gets into that rhythm, yeah. um, which can help when you know you're lying in bed for hours and not being able to sleep. Yeah, Ugh, it's frustrating. It's so frustrating. There's nothing worse than being so tired, but not being able to sleep because your brain is bringing up shit you did like eight years ago. And yeah, decided, literally. Yeah, let's have a little uh, trip down memory lane and think about that that embarrassing thing i did at the year nine disco why not 100 percent can relate 
Oh, yeah. It's and Look, I think obviously everybody does it. Everybody has those random shitty memories pop into their head and they're like, Ugh. but it's all about kind of like how often and how long you're ruminating on those. And that's all often, I think, the best way to explain the difference between feeling anxious now and then and an anxiety because it's constant and it's debilitating and it's regular. Yeah, absolutely. I found that, um, you know, going to therapy really helped me unpack, she called them my therapist, irrational thinking patterns. Mm. And so she really helped me identify that these thoughts are going to pop into your head regardless, but, you know, you don't have to pay too much attention to them and you don't have to believe them. Yeah. And sort of just acknowledging that they're there, but knowing when it is anxiety or depressive related if that yeah, makes sense it does and i think it's also like realizing it's not about like getting rid of the thought it's just about like accepting it's there yes and trying to kind of progress despite it being there like it's very hard i think to obviously rewire your brain and your way of thinking like i don't think anyone's re- asking you to do that it's just how you interact with those, those thoughts i think is super important um and obviously part of what we have to do in therapy which is so hard so yes hard. So and difficult. i do I, I agree with you um yeah i think a big part of it is just acknowledging the feelings because i don't know if you do this but with anxiety i always try to rationalize it so if i'm feeling overwhelmed Mm. i will want to unpack that and try and name what it is that's making me feel this way because maybe it might make me feel better knowing like what it's stemming from but Mm. anxiety isn't always you know logical and doesn't always make sense and it can pop up so i think that was really important like knowing that the thoughts are there and knowing not to buy into them too much um yeah therapy's good oh it's great it's it's also like it's a lot of hard work i wish sometimes i wish people would tell you more about like how difficult it is and there are days where you just don't fucking want to do it and you would yeah. much rather sit at home and like watch tv than talk about your feelings and it's hard it's hard like you've got to do homework there's like yes. homework involved yeah they give you little sheets there's little so many activities. sheets and some of them are a bit dumb but a lot of them are actually quite helpful like the one that's always helped me actually is like i think it's the thought mapping so it's like when i have a really scary thought or a really kind of big fear that i'm grappling with it's like writing it down and like being like what yeah. is the evidence for this mm-hmm. what is the evidence for like against it yeah. what is the likelihood of this thing happening um and i think when you put it out on paper it's also just cathartic because you're getting it out of your brain. Yeah. In the same way, talking about it is really cathartic because you're like, just I need to get this out of my brain and onto something else. Yeah, that's that's a really good idea. That's awesome that you've found something that's working for you. Yeah, I know my sister in therapy, she had a recommendation, like, say, to write a letter to a parent that she isn't getting along with. Um, mm. You know, even if they never get it, it's just a way of you expressing yourself, yes. telling your truth, yes. and it just being there, some sort of release, I guess. Yeah, I think if you've got all that stuff in your head and you've got no where to release it, it's only going to get more and more stressful and concerning i think um Mm -hmm. i just like if i have a like obviously so i have illness anxiety disorder which i've only just recently kind of had that diagnosis confirmed it was always like is it anxiety is it ocd what is it um 
and for me, everything surrounds my health and, and sickness and illness. Um, and when I am experiencing those things, the only thing I can do really to start that process of getting through it is like tell someone because yeah. it's really scary and you're like, fuck, I'm going nuts and I can't, yeah. I can't understand what's going on in my mind and verbalizing it is just so powerful for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's awesome that you can verbalize it. How are you feeling about your diagnosis? I think it's good. Like I am someone, and not everybody is this way. Like I think a lot of people don't don't need it or don't require a diagnosis. But I like facts and I like yes. understanding things and I like like getting the full picture, um, really investigating and researching things. So for me, yeah. I was like, okay, cool. So this is what it is. Now I have the tools in place. Well, eventually I'll have the tools in place to deal with it. Um, and that's great for me. I think knowing the diagnosis allows the treatment to sometimes be a bit easier. Yeah. Um, but it's also not necessary. I mean, you know, for everybody it's different. Like I have a friend who's like, I know, like it's something, I don't need it. I just want the treatment, which is fine as well. It's yeah, whatever is best for you. Yeah, I agree. We talk about this in my studies, you know, um, social work really likes a non-labeling approach, but then there is the other side of it where people sort of need a label to make sense of it. Exactly what you just said. Mm. And yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I can't wait to ask you questions about social work. I've got lots of questions. Um, ask as many <laughs> as you want. I literally love it. It's my calling. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I have a few friends, um, actually two girls who've been on before, Rose and Drew. They're they're social workers and they're they're amazing ladies. Um and yeah. it's just so cool to hear like I think just having like a very different perspective and having that new new perspective with a lot of the newer like the younger people who are coming through social work um, degrees and stuff are just going to be that much better equipped compared to 20 years ago. Um, I just I just have a lot of faith in you all. Like I just I do. <laughs> it's a really good point because. I know that with my course, it is really critical and progressive. So mm. we do have to learn about um, the roles social workers have played in the past, you know, particularly with the Indigenous communities. Mm. And so, yeah, no. And even like with my placement, there's a couple of us and I have two social worker supervisors. And we, when we have a Zoom catch up, mm. you just leave feeling so good about yourself they love highlighting your strengths and you know making you feel so capable it's like oh i'm actually killing it thanks guys (laughs) (laughs) i'm fucking good at this and that's what you need like i can't believe there are still organizations and companies out there that think like just shitting on people is the way to like get people to be productive like it's the worst you just be nice to them and uplift them that's how you get people to be productive i don't to understand it's first confusing to me um i guess what i wanted to start off with i know we've obviously spoken already for like nearly 15 minutes we'll get we'll, we'll get to the first quick we'll get to the questions um so i know obviously you, you saw your first uh, psychologist at 13 which is really young um yeah. and I, I would love to know what that experience was like at such a young age and and what brought you to that that um that decision to go and see a psychologist yeah sure thing um i think that Growing up, I sort of developed self-awareness from a young age that Mm. mental uniqueness was very prevalent within my direct family. I lived with my mum till about 12, and unfortunately, she was living with very severe, untreated and undiagnosed mental illness. Mm. She's very spontaneous. Mm -hmm. She loved to, like, dress up. You know, we were in a small town of, like, 2,000 people. Wow. She picked me up from my 
primary school assemblies in like a sequence ball gown and like a feather boa and a wig. Like she was pretty wow. out there. And looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, good on your sis. But unfortunately, she did have some, you know, unhealthy coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. drug use. Witnessing this was very normalized growing up. And, you know, I think in primary school, you got sort of the gist from other parents that okay, I think we're the dysfunctional family here. I think we're a little bit of the outcasts. I never had trouble making friends, but it was always like, oh, sorry, I can't go there. Or, oh, sorry, I can only stay at your house if it's at your grandmother's. Um, and so wow. I remember being like, oh, you know, I get it, but <laughs> that sort of hurts a little bit. Oh, of course, if you're a kid, all you want to do is be accepted. Yeah, yeah. And I just think in a sort of small regional town, even back then there was a lot of, I think my mum would have faced a lot of stigmatisation for a condition. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you think that there was a lot of, you know, stigma attached to mental illness during that time when you were growing up in a small community like that? I think so for sure. I think growing up I realised, you know, people would love, like, within my family to diagnose her, like, it'd be a fun game, like, let's talk about everything sort of weird she's done and put a label on it. Mm. Um, Even family members would just talk about it not in a strength-based way and I would be 10, 11, 12 hearing this and knowing that's not nice. Maybe because, sure, it is my mother, but also like, oh... Yeah, so unfortunately she was pretty difficult to live with. You couldn't go a couple of days without there being a blue, whatever it was. Mm. Um, And I know that, you know, I think this is generational and also a cultural thing. Like the wooden spoon was very common. And I know that a lot of people have normalised this with their upbringing. But from like a human rights point of view, I don't think that's on. And um, I think I decided to move in with my dad because we had a altercation that was you know a bit physical a bit frightening Mm. um police involved and I guess moving in with my dad and there was all these changes um I thought I think I don't know how it came about whether someone mentioned it or if I you know identified I wanted to see someone Mm. but that's when I decided to go see a psychologist who was an older lady that, you know, probably didn't see eye to eye, but (laughs) I think you would know going to therapy. That's part of the process, finding someone that works for you. Takes a long time sometimes. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Finding that good connection and being on the same page because my psychologist for you might be terrible and vice versa. Like it's just not terrible, but you know what I mean? Like it just might not work. Yeah, 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 for sure. Just humans interacting like just got to find someone on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. And how did you access that psychologist? Were you, was it through school? Like, or were, were you open with your family about the fact that you wanted to go and do this? Yeah. So my grandmother worked at the medical clinic, the local medical clinic for 30 years. So she was very wow. in with the doctors there. Cool. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think I just got a referral and she'd take me, my nan would take me to my appointments. Um, but yeah, I probably didn't see anyone following that until maybe after high school. So I saw this lady for a bit, maybe seen a few people throughout high school, but then Mm. didn't really focus on therapy until later. I don't think. What was uh, high school like? I guess, obviously you were probably still experiencing those, those symptoms and potentially, you know, feelings of anxiety and and depression. And then obviously you've got stuff happening with your mom and you're living with your dad. What was that like? for you in terms of your high school career, I guess? I think that um, high school, I really developed avoidance as a coping mechanism. Mm. So 
absolutely struggled with um, attendance. Mm. I, once again, didn't have trouble making friends, but I would say that I was largely socially withdrawn from them. You know, I wasn't interested in Deb after party or formals or the 18th during year 12. Yeah. And I can see now how that would be really rude. Like, it's like I don't value their friendship or their time. But back then, I think I honestly just wanted to stay in my own bubble was having a shit time. This was just my way of dealing with it, I guess. And I think I felt, um, you know, something people used to say growing up. It's like, oh, you're really mature for your age, blah, blah. And I never really knew what to take of this, but I think I did find I did seek connections with older people naturally. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You just felt like you were more in tune with them. Yeah, I think so. You know, Twelve, I got my first job just at a local bakery where wow. my sister worked. Twelve years old. Yeah, and you know, I think that I formed sort of like I guess I'll use the word romantic. You know, sort of those relationships quite early as well, mm. and you know that was there was a lot of judgment as well from that, and yeah, I guess that feeling of maybe being misunderstood and not fitting in. Yeah is what I felt during high school. When you, I guess when you were kind of going through like the HSC and all that kind of stuff, was how was, what was your relationship like with your mum then? Was it still kind of, uh, were you connected with her still or was it kind of more uh, um, separate? It was pretty separate. I think in hindsight, what I see with my mum is like a woman that didn't have enough support systems around her mm. to get her the right treatment and or if they did there was a lot of denial so I think she thinks she's totally sweet all good but Mm. if you knew the nature of it you know that's not right not right and yeah yeah, I wish it worked out with her um I have seen her I've like since then I've probably seen her three times from me just initiating a drop-in at her house wow okay over how over how long Oh, probably after high school. Wow. I'd just okay. be as spontaneous as her, just rock up at her house. I think that's the best way to go get about it because you don't really know what you're going to get and you can't really plan that sort of thing. Mm. And so, yeah, usually it's a quick 10-minute chat, um, <laughs> see how long I can last there before things start kicking off pretty much. But mm. I do try to keep just a little bit of a connection because I think it would be really hard to be a mother and – be really distant from your children yeah a hundred percent have you i guess i've i have a a friend or two who have had to kind of really separate themselves from a parent just because it's obviously been too toxic for them to Mm -hmm. continue that relationship have you and they they kind of mentioned going through like a morning morning period have you kind of felt like you've gone through almost like a phase of mourning in terms of knowing that your relationship is not going to be that kind of classic relationship I guess for lack of a better term that's really interesting you mentioned that I like that I think that when I was younger there was absolutely that comparison that Mm. my parents and my family don't neatly fit into this narrative yeah you know I absolutely would get so bummed out about it at times you know there was I felt a bit stuck you know Mm. I can't help this I'm just a child I can't help her type thing wanting her to be as good as she can be, but also knowing, you know, I'm not responsible for her actions and she has done some pretty harsh things. But, yeah, absolutely, it makes me sad when I think about for too long, for sure, for yeah. sure. I just hope that she's like – she. when I say her, she always goes on about ha- how happy she is and this and that, so I hope she is. Mm. 
hundred percent. I think it's, I think that's a very mature way to look at it. Actually, I think it's also very brave on your behalf to kind of understand the relationship, try and connect with her, but also know that you have to put yourself first at the end of the that's day. That's it. It's a hard line, and like you mentioning your friends, like I totally understand those circumstances where you you literally do just have to put yourself first, and sometimes just because someone is your biological parent doesn't mean they're going to be the best role model, you know? Yeah, 100%. I completely understand that. I think also you mentioned before in a, a, chat, a chat of ours we had before recording um, was you wanted kind of to talk about alcoholism and substance dependence within your yeah. family. I'd love for you to talk to that. And um, yeah. I think you said that it had a kind of a ripple effect on yeah. your family. And, yeah, I would love love you to speak to that if you, if you feel comfortable with that. Absolutely. I think um, this is probably something that, sort of drew me to social work, wanting to work with maybe families or people who are living with substance dependency. But, um, you know, when I moved in with my dad, he really took it all on, on board, having these three kids growing up, mm. now all in his, in his hands. And during year 12 mm. was the first time he sort of seeked proper help. So he spent a while in a rehabilitation centre and this was – um, related to alcohol use. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a workplace accident and the timeline wow. of that is I don't, he didn't return to work after that and his drinking went up a lot. Yep. So this made him really withdrawn. I think that he, there was probably, you know, a bit of a lack of boundaries growing up. He was very lenient with me. I was allowed to do whatever I wanted. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I still remember going to the meeting at the rehab center and it was just really emotional because we sort of found out he was using other substances as well, which was news to us so that Mm. was like another thing and I've just very much realized over the years that my anxiety tends to get worse if something's going on with my family members so Mm. if dad's been hospitalized due to mental health or alcoholism which has absolutely happened a few times um I'll notice I'll start you know getting a bit on edge and anxious and wishing I was back home and that sort of thing so Mm. and I think it's the same for my siblings I think when everyone's doing better collectively we're all a bit stronger if that makes sense that makes total sense especially if a lot of your trauma i guess is based in what happened when you were younger with your family it only makes sense that when things are kind of not going well that's going to kind of return and like kick kick things off i guess really yeah and i know that you and your friend talked about you know just australian culture and alcohol Mm. do you think it's a problem i mean i think so it's hard because like we definitely have i think within our youth a binge drinking issue but i think i think definitely like i think with our older generations especially men there is a lot of substance use there is a lot of alcohol Mm -hmm. use and it is concerning um but like at the same time it's like it's it's interesting because i think i'm very pro like harm reduction as opposed to abstinence and just being like, oh, the issue is the drug or the issue is the alcohol because it's not. You're you're Mm -hmm. using that drug or you're using alcohol because of things that have happened to you and you don't have those correct coping mechanisms. They themselves aren't bad. Um, You're bang on. Yeah, I think think you can can have alcohol just because you've had a history of, you know, uh, I don't know, mental illness. It doesn't necessarily mean you can't drink. I think it's just, it's just looking at the reasons. Like it's, it's frustrating that we still continue to be like, it's 
it's the drugs is fault it's alcohol's yes. fault like it's not it's the fact that as a society we still have not been able to support people properly it's frustrating that we continue to blame the person or the substance when in reality we need to be blaming society and not being not not realizing that it's it's looking at how we can fix those really ingrained issues of yeah. you know abuse assault like mm-hmm. you know neglect all these things um a person just doesn't wake up one day and go you know what i'm gonna have 20 beers every day yeah. like it's yeah just, it's not a thing um and there's a reason I, I agree with that i really agree with that um you know drugs and alcohol are a coping mechanism to what that person's going through mm. And I think I've been quite supportive with my dad in regards to this. I'm pretty, um, you know, there is a constant willingness to want to stop drinking. Yeah. The cycle is continuous. And um, I used to really struggle when he would relapse and sort of personalize it like, oh, maybe I could have done this. But yeah. I've learned over the years that, like, that's absolutely not my responsibility and I can only be there for him as much as I can. And, um, yeah, exactly that. I hate the words, like, alcoholic, drug addict, homeless person. Like, I don't like these things that just describe someone to this one thing they do, Mm. which is helping them get through something in some way or numbing something. Exactly. It's it's so important just that language change. Instead of saying an alcoholic, it's saying a person who has a dependency on alcohol or a person who uses alcohol. Like, there's, I think it's really important. Like, I know people are like, oh, we're just being so, you know, like petty and particular about the language we use. And like, no, it's not, it's not that. It's, it's, if you are labeled with something, that becomes part of you. So let's stop yeah. labeling people. It's just being like, this is a thing you do because of X, Y, Z. You don't necessarily have to stop that thing, but let's look at the reasons why you feel like this is the thing you need to get through each day. Um, I think is, you know, how I interpret it. I mean, obviously not a mental health professional. No, um, but you were so wise and you just have a way of your words. That is, I couldn't agree more. Like, that's it. Let's not put this one thing contributing to someone's whole identity because it's not at all. No, 100%. And we do that as a society because it's easy and it's mm-hmm. very simple to do. It's much harder yeah. to be like, what are the root causes as opposed yeah. to let's treat this, like let's treat the symptom. Like that's what it is. It's treating a symptom as opposed to treating the actual the actual root cause, which is yeah. very frustrating. And I'm, I'm obviously, you know, preaching to the choir here. You, you're working in social work, so... Um, you would know all these things, but I, I hope eventually we do get to have more of a harm minimization and harm reduction method and model in everything we do. Yeah, I hope so as well. Like, is um, that being more introduced in, in social work and things like that? I think what we do look at is we sort of maybe critique the medical model. Mm. Um, yeah, just always with social work, I guess it's just on the person you're talking to. So they're identifying their challenges, their needs. And we are just, you know, validating that, whatever that is. Mm. And I don't know if, um, you know, you find this sometimes. I read something on Instagram about it being called toxic positivity. Oh, and I've for not me, heard of this. it was sort of like when you say something and yeah. people try to find the silver lining. So, oh, COVID's really shit for me right now because X, Y, Z. And someone's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, we're collectively going through this and it's going to get better. And I know these things, but what I really want is for you to actually listen and be present with what I'm saying and not just sugarcoat it. Interesting. And, you know, 
with anxiety and depression, like that can be really disheartening when you're trying to vocalize and verbalize your feelings and someone's all like patch on the back, like, it'll get better, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Will it though? We don't, we don't know that. We don't, yeah. like, if you give me the tools, maybe, but uh, if this is all I'm getting, then no. Like, yeah. Like, I would probably rather someone sit there in silence and just nod and go, hmm, It's like, all right. Cool. I've never heard of this term. I've just Googled it. And according to Google, it toxic positivity is the assumption either by oneself or others that despite a person's emotional pain or difficult situation, they should only have a positive mindset. Interesting. And, like, I do see such value in fostering hope and we absolutely have to make you know, positive meaning because life can be a bit grim sometimes, but Mm. I don't think it's useful to sort of diminish people's experience by saying it's going to be okay because X, Y, Z. Yeah. it's If that makes sense. Life, like, I'm not going to say a majority. Maybe there's a majority for some people, but a section of life is shit. Like, it is. Like, it is. Like, I don't think... I don't think saying to a person, this is just going to get better from here, is at all helpful. Mm-hmm. Like, for some mm-hmm. people, they really latch onto it. That's fine. Like, I, I've been following this um, this woman who lost her husband during COVID, and her thing is positivity and, like, exercise yeah. and getting out there. And, and I'm like, if that's what you want to do, sick. Like, that's yeah. helping you. But I think it's, like, realizing it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. Um, for sure. My, my partner sometimes just gets, like, a little bit irrationally angry. He'll be like, God damn, like, he just gets, he just gets cranky. And I'm yeah. like, well, you don't need to be angry. But then I realized recently, I'm like, but maybe he does. Like, maybe something crap has happened and it's okay to just, like, sit within that feeling for a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's good that you can, you know, your self-aware awareness is there to acknowledge that and take a step back and go, okay, yeah, you can be in a bad mood today. Yeah. Do like, what you need to do, boy. Why not? Like, if you're in chronic pain and that day, a particular day, you're like, fuck, I don't want any positivity. I want to feel like I want to feel these feelings I'm feeling. I feel crap. I don't feel hopeful today. Yeah. That's fine. Like, it's more about like, okay, cool. You're feeling that way. How can I support you today? Yes. With everything else you need to do. Can I come? What can I do to help you? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Can I make you a meal while you sit there on the couch? Yeah. Do you want a cuppa? Yeah. It's it's chill. I think it's yeah. I like very very interesting. I'm going to read more about that. Thanks. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting concept as well. I was like, I have noticed when people do that and when they say things like that, I sort of want to roll my eyes. Noted. Um, okay, well, I, I don't want us to run out of time, so I've got a few more things to cover. So, sure, sure. Well, I guess we could talk for it. I like that you're um you're a talker. I think that we would be similar in a way, like we're probably both people persons. Oh yeah, I don't I know don't, if that's the right way. I it is. That, I, I yeah. couldn't I couldn't go. Like I get super sad if I'm by myself for more than a few hours. So you need to sort of engage and interact with people to you know yes feel feel good. Yes. You know how they say like introverts get their energy from being alone and extroverts get their energy from being around people. I know it's not that simple, but I feel like that's me. Like yeah. I get energized by even if someone's sitting next to me, <laughs> I feel that yeah, I no, feel that I energy. Can totally relate. Like if I'm at the supermarket and I have one friendly chat with like whoever's serving me, I mm. will walk out of there like grinning, like, Am I yeah. okay? Yeah. Like yeah. She'd be like, cool bag, or said she's having a good day. I'm like, oh, she was all right. Yeah, I feel the same way. And my partner <laughs> will look mate. at me and be like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I'm just having a conversation. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, well, yeah, I, I like that, yeah. Yeah, I remember be. I used to work at like uh uh, what is it like a stationery store and I was like a management a manager and they made us do this stupid management training it was a waste of time but they were explaining how like c- 
customers of particular animals and they were explaining how like there's like there's like a puppy and a puppy is someone <laughs> who is extroverted but they want to have a chat with you and you can tell a person is a puppy if they've got like fun earrings on because they want to like have a chat and I'm sitting there with these like very ridiculous earrings on and being oh, like my god, god damn it it's me it's me I, <laughs> I'm I am. the puppy I'm the puppy <laughs> Ugh, it's true though I just I love having a chat it's I my partner always says that I find the longest way to like order food online. Like I'll just call up and be like, How you going? Would you mind? Blah blah blah. He's like, just order the thing. Like, I can't. This is who I am. Accept it. Yes. You've you proposed now, so I've trapped you. No, I'm kidding. Oh my god, really? Yes, yes, we're getting married. Congratulations. Thank you. That's so exciting. It's very exciting. We're getting married next year, so that'll be interesting. Hopefully COVID doesn't ruin it. Yeah, how long have you guys been together for? We've been together for 10 years. Wow! Yeah, 11 next year. We've been together yeah. since we're 17. Oh, yeah. sweet. Little babies, little babies. Yeah! Oh, so cool that you guys have stayed together and grown together. And oh, married. yeah. It's very exciting. I mean, it's a miracle. We've No, nah, I'm kidding. But, like, it's been <laughs> – it's not easy when you're literally 17 and you grow up together. It's not simple. Mm-hmm. But, um, no, he's cool. He's a good dude. Um, my question for you next would be, I guess you, you mentioned as well that you wanted to kind of talk about your medication journey and that you've sure. had, that you've kind of had a lot of, not, not, not a lot of issues, but it's been quite difficult for you to kind of find that right medication and blah, blah, blah. Would you be able to talk to that for us? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, normalizing medication is something pretty close to my heart and originally, I was very reluctant, you know, my doctor didn't talk me into it or anything, but it took weeks, weeks of going over the pros and cons. And I think that was to do with like, you know, um, just thinking society is so over-medicated, like I don't need to do that. I can do this on my own. Hmm. But then I come to realize that, no, this is probably going to help me. I think over, you know, four or five years, it has taken to find something that was suitable for me. Mm. And throughout this time, um, you know, one I was actually allergic to and I didn't realize for a while. People have talked to me about this. Like, it was so weird. What, so what, how do you, like, what's the, like, what was an allergic reaction like to an antidepressant? Yeah, so I pretty much was having a breakdown and I went to my doctor and demanded that she <laughs> put me on something else on the spot. Now. Like, it doesn't yeah. work like that. You know, you've got to wean off these and go on. I'm like, no, nah, it's not working. It's not working. Give me something else. Yeah, yeah. Didn't give me much of a choice, um, but I was put on this one and it was expensive. It wasn't on the PBS. It was like $70 for 28 days. Oh, was like, oh my God. And over... The weeks I had been going to the doctors just to get blood tests and that sort of thing because I was feeling very, very nauseous. Um, oh. A lot of like spewing, like feeling so nauseous I wouldn't be able to get in my car or drive. Oh. And I went back to the doctor that put me on this and she was pretty encouraging to just stick it out for a bit longer. But then um, I was literally so debilitated, I couldn't go to work, uh, just crying, like, breakdown, screaming in a pillow, like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And then I went to another doctor and he said, I reckon you're in, like, the point blah, blah, blah percent that's allergic to this med- medication. Like, <laughs> let's get you off it. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, I've been taking it for about five weeks, feeling like crap. <laughs> like, that's but, so um, weird. 
Yeah, it was strange. It was not good. And I think because I was so anxious at the time, I struggled to realise, is this the medication or is this my anxiety? Because anxiety for me is very physical, like very much the sweats, the heart palpitations, Mm. um, feeling nauseous. So, yeah, I just think it can take a while. Um, But, yeah, even my grandmother, she's nearly 70 and she's recently started her medication journey. Like I just think, you know, it can be be of value if it turns out to be the right solution. If it works for you, it just works and I think it's worth it if it works. A hundred percent. And, I mean, I think I've had this conversation with nearly every single person on the show now because I think, like – it's it's so hard because you you think that people are okay with it. You think it's been destigmatized, and then you have a conversation with someone about it, and they're like, "Oh, really? A medication? You're yes. so right." Yeah, and I think it's like as soon as you begin to think that it's fine and it's normal and that everybody's accepted it, that's kind of not great because then you just like you're just assuming everybody else is on the same page when they're not. Yeah, um, there's always work to do, I guess, with you know yes. destigmatizing. Um, always. But, yeah, it's it's just – it is what it is. Like, I think – I mean, I've, I've spoken about it before. Like, it, they've helped me in so many ways, but the, also mm-hmm. that the side effects have been really shitty. Yes. Um, I think just having that open dialogue about this is what it's like, this is what can happen, these are the benefits, these are the drawbacks. Like, mm-hmm. that's really important. I – I think a lot of people just don't don't know or aren't informed and that that doesn't scare me but I think health literacy is really important um and that includes you know you know medication because yeah. it's something that's going to impact on you daily yeah totally agree it's not with a panadol, you. you know no it's not it really is a trial and error and yeah as you mentioned like the side effects can be just their own thing I guess it's hard to explain until you've experienced it but yeah it can be you know it's sort of the medication journey can contribute to the anxiety when you're trying to find the right one because you're feeling out of whack and mm. your body's trying to adjust to it but I am you know really lucky that I've found something that's working for me now and I've definitely noticed that I am more stabilized and you know some days I don't wake up with like full anxiety thinking like why the hell am I such a piece of shit? <laughs> um, I understand though. I, I get it. Do you think it's um? Do you think it's been interesting? Obviously, studying social work and and having the experiences you've had throughout your life. Do you think that that's potentially changed the way that you approach um, what you're learning about and potentially what you'll be like as a social worker yourself? Yeah, I I definitely think so. I think that I've always been, you know, passionate about just being good to people and human rights, social justice. Um, Absolutely, I think that things we have studied have made me a lot more empathic and understanding towards anyone's situation. Mm. Like, even if someone's rude to me at work or something, like, rather than getting all bummed out about it I'm just like, oh, well obviously they've got stuff going on mm. try not to personalize it yeah. um I think you just learn to be more cautious that everyone's got stuff going on assume that everyone has stuff going on but just interact holistically non-judgmental and just be authentic to yourself mm, I agree I think it's, I think the whole idea of like assuming that everybody has shit going on is such an important thing like yeah I'm not saying that we can just be like to people, act however you want, 
there you go you can be an asshole all day it doesn't matter yeah I, I don't think that's what it is it's it's just knowing that people are doing things for for reasons that you're might that you might not be aware of and i think when you realize that it makes you a calmer and a more sensitive person mm-hmm. um and a more empath- empathetic person and you're able to look at someone and be like you know what that was a dick move but it's probably because of this 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 yeah. um and it just i think it removes the anger as well like you don't feel as much rage you're like oh i think so as well yeah and you make a good point there like i do think there has to be behavioral accountability, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. You can't just be a dick for no reason. <laughs> I've but got problems, therefore I can be an asshole. Yeah, no. no it, I do think that I am sort of able to just take a step back when people are in a bad mood. I pick up on it and sort of like, yeah, just let it go. Yeah, that's life. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I've had this conversation before, but like, no one, no one obviously wants to go through bad things. No one wants to have to have shitty experiences, but yeah. they do. They do um, allow us to evolve, and I think for a lot of a lot of the time, they make us better, well-rounded people. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, I think what you're doing is really amazing because you're taking what's happened and you're taking those experiences and those feelings that you felt and trying to make sure that no one else feels that way uh, if you can um and that's amazing like you give a shit about people because potentially you you've not always had it super easy yeah thank you i definitely always knew that i wanted to work with people um help people i think originally i thought oh yeah i'll be a nurse but that's definitely not for me oh, and nursing sounds scary i'd be like i'm gonna yeah. kill somebody today accidentally I've, I've got a few nurse friends in the story so tell me a while i know terrifying <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i you know i agree with you i think what's happened to me has made me you know really appreciate good connections mm. and i do agree with you that we're all are gonna face hardships and with hardships it's the potential for a lot of self-growth and contributes to our values and our personality and what we believe in so yeah i'm looking forward to being in the field one day and meeting some cool people yeah i think you're going to be an amazing social worker i really do thank you that's okay i guess (laughs) um we're nearly out of time but um i'd love to ask what i what i ask everybody at the end of the show and that is uh for someone who potentially is you know quite young and experiencing um anxiety and depression and potentially also issues at home Mm -hmm. uh, what would be some advice you would you would give to them i think my advice would just to be um, mindful to keep a kind inner voice. Don't be too harsh on yourself. And I always see value in self-disclosure. So I would encourage people to continue to have conversations about their mental illness and how it affects them with people that are supportive and will listen. Mm. I know that it's a lot easier sometimes just to sort of not say anything, mm. but um. And it is uncomfortable, but I just really encourage people to say what you feel. Yep. It's important. It is. It's so important. I love that. That's brilliant. That's brilliant advice. I like that. What did you say? It was like um, a kind inner voice. A kind inner voice. I fucking love that. I love that. you know, I think with depression, anxiety, we can have that harsh inner voice that, you know, all the self-doubt and the guilt and the shame and you know, it's not helpful. And if we can at least try to be a bit more um, noticeable of it, it can help to manage it. 
Oh, 100%. So just, you know, you're feeling like shit. I have days where I just, you know, still try and highlight my own strengths and remind myself that I am a decent human and, you know, just, yeah, be kind to yourself, people. Yes, that's, I mean, you're definitely more than just a decent human, but yes, definitely, (laughs) definitely, definitely. Well, um, Joe, thank you so much for dropping by and um, chatting to me. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about your experiences and I think you're going to make it a fantastic social worker. Likewise to you, Maddie. Thank you for just listening and being so open to my experiences. And yeah, I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to continuing to listen to your podcast. Oh, amazing. Well, uh, big fan. Number one fan over here. Okay. I'll get your t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Maddie. Guys, welcome back. I told you that was a good one. To be fair, they're all good ones, but I mean, yeah, this one, definitely a good one. I think, as I mentioned before, it was really cool to see the way that Joe framed a lot of stuff um, from like the social work perspective. And yeah, just this whole idea of trying to empower people and raise people up, I think is just such a powerful sentiment. And I just feel like if everybody's like Joe in the social work sector, we'll be sweet. I know it's not that simple, but like, it's great to know that we have people like her who are advocating for change and who want to do the right thing. So that's really, really amazing. Thank you, Joe, for, for just being a gem and coming on the show. Uh, guys, please, 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 if you would like to be on the show, you can email me at if you don't mind podcast at gmail.com. Or if you don't like email, you can message me on the Facebook page, Messenger thingy. Uh, just type in if you don't mind to Facebook. Or if you prefer a direct message kind of thing, you can go to if you don't mind podcast and DM me, which is very, very cool millennial like. So that would be great. Um, if you want to rate the pod, you can at Apple Podcasts. I haven't really plugged that for a while, but it's kind of nice when I see good reviews. It gives me a good feeling inside. Um, and if you want to become a patron, you can. You can type in if you don't mind podcast to Patreon and give as little as $2 a month, which is like half a cup of coffee a month, which is really amazing and would be really helpful and I would love you. Um, but yeah, um, as I said, it, it's nearly the end of the year. So things are going to start wrapping up for this show. Um, but there are some exciting things I'll be announcing in the next few months. Um, as I've said, also t-shirts are going to be happening. I'm going to have some merchandise. My beautiful friend Manet, who designed the cover art for this podcast is actually doing the design work for that. So, you know, it's going to be so cool and so sick. Um, so I will keep you updated with that stuff. I'm really excited to finish off the year with some, some great, interviews that will be coming up in the next few weeks so you've got me for another eight weeks because it's a fortnightly thing that's how it works i don't know i'm tired who knows it's 2020 uh anyway i hope you all have a lovely afternoon or night or day depending on when you're listening to this but remember to be kind be kind to yourself be kind to one another um and when you can just listen to someone else's story because it's That's good. It's really good. Bye, guys.